Before I actually get into what I want to share with you this morning, I want to answer a question that's come up. I think it's good to answer it for all of you because it comes up fairly often. It comes from someone who's concerned about really taking the Buddha's teachings and faith in the Buddha on wholeheartedly when seeing gender discrimination in various traditions and feeling that how can you trust someone who would have had that attitude. And I want to assure you that this is a very widespread misunderstanding that from everything I can see in the Pali Canon, this was not the Buddha's position. In fact, he was incredibly supportive and compassionate towards women. And when he ordained women, he gave them the same exact ordination as men. And he gave them the same set of monastic rules. Now, over the years following, some things were changed because, in case you may have noticed, there are some differences between men and women. And they live a bit differently. But he was, he was very um, supportive of women and praised their abilities. Uh, the chant that we did a, a couple of days ago about the Arahant Bhikkhunis, those words of praise came from the Buddha, acknowledging their, their powers and their abilities. And he was clear that gender does not have um, any impact on how... Um, one gets enlightened, or that one can get enlightened. He was so compassionate towards women, in fact, that he has he allows us, even you know, in our monastic code, to ordain girls as young as twelve years old if they're married. Um, otherwise, you have to wait until you're twenty. That's the earliest age that you're allowed to to take full ordination. But in the case of a girl being married, you can ordain her with full ordination as early as 12. And I can't see any other reason for that other than giving those girls a way out of oppressive situations. So I want to just encourage you to question the kinds of things that we're told and also what we see that comes down through 2,500 years of human distortion and um, go back to the roots. And so as a bhikkhuni, that's what I do. I try to follow what the Buddha gave us and kind of ignore that other stuff. (laughs) Not that we shouldn't be aware of it and make our statement, but I think it's helpful to not get too caught up in trying to change others in sangsara. And that really leads to what I want to talk about because the Buddha talked about worldly pleasure and unworldly pleasure and and we all know what it's like to experience worldly pleasure and what it's like to want to feel satisfied or comforted or secure with worldly pleasure, which is the pleasure that's based on conditions. 
unworldly pleasure is what we've really been talking about this week in terms of Nibbana and glimpses of Nibbana or tastes of Nibbana. It's that kind of pleasure that takes us higher, that isn't based on um, that which falls apart. There's also unworldly, there's worldly pain, as I'm sure we're all very aware, and unworldly pain. And unworldly pain is the desire for Nibbana that we haven't yet received, we haven't yet attained or realized. Now, both unworldly pleasure and unworldly pain lead us to something higher. It leads us on to realization, to letting go of that which is suffering and impermanent. So it's really useful to identify the difference and recognize that even in the nature of Dhamma, we are encouraged to continue to move in the direction of peace and safety, security, and freedom from suffering and bondage. when we're trying to find pleasure or create it in the world, of course, sometimes it's, it's very, makes us very happy. But then we also know where it ends. And actually, um, the person who wrote the question about women in Buddhism mentioned that the Buddha left his family, left his wife and child. And I believe that this is not at all out of disregard for them, but he saw that no matter what he did, he couldn't end their suffering by in the role that he was in as a leader of his country, as a father and husband. So he went in search of that unworldly pleasure that lasts And then he came back and shared that with them. And his son and his wife and his stepmother and many other members of his family realized full awakening. That's the greatest gift you can give. Of course, it didn't hurt that in the meantime, his wife and child were taken care of by the family. They had everything that they needed completely safe as far as one can be safe in the um, very protected surroundings. But this, this gift of Nibbana and this um, vision, this support, this encouragement, and this showing the way to go there, this is a true gift. This is an incredible good fortune that we've come in contact with. 
there's a big difference between like the the image of Sisyphus pushing that boulder up the mountain and it's sliding back, pushing it up, it slides back. That's that's sangsara. And you know, I mentioned Ajahn Mahabua, who was a a great monk in Thailand. Um, you know, I heard him spoken about as the arahant of the age in Thailand. He died a few years ago. When he said, "Take what you've got and scramble up the mountain," he wasn't talking about Sisyphus Mountain. He was talking about the way to Nibbana. And he didn't mean take everything you've got, really. <laughs> Not Leave the baggage, <laughs> leave the, the attachments, and take the spiritual tools that you have. And go for it. And I think it's really important to, to you know, if we look at our experiences of this past week, I know there there have been ups and downs and pain and some glimpses of unworldly pleasure or experiences of that, perhaps. But whatever we've done to investigate our experience, whatever we've done to slog through sloth and torpor or investigate that gnawing in the heart or is showing up, it helps to move us in that direction of awakening. And it's important to acknowledge that. That we can make a a minor course correction, what seems like a minor shift. And it's like you're you're here and you change direction a little bit and you wind up in a very different place. And we all have that option. So I think it's useful to think about what you want to, where you want to be in 10 years. And I'm not trying to say goal-oriented, but just, just remembering that it takes time and the things that we do, the choices we make, day by day, matter. It's doable. And it's really important to look for the support that we need from good friends and to continue to find the things that inspire us and to just let go of the things that don't. Whether... You know, it's some way of talking about the Buddha or enlightenment or, you know, if it's something that that squashes us down, set it aside. Or look at what am I bringing to it that makes it uninspiring. Because what matters isn't whether or not people said the right thing or did the right thing to encourage us. It, what matters is that we, we take what we need in order to grow 
and really live this Noble Eightfold Path and really develop. I really want to commend you for your work this week and your attention, your showing up. And I really want to encourage you and know that there are others who care about you and your progress. So thank you. <laughs>